Good to be with you tonight. Again, my name is Mike Wagner. Um, 15 years ago, I started a company called White Rabbit Group because um, I wanted to start a company. I had never done that before, so it was something new, and I wanted to figure out how to do it. Uh, we mostly work with teams uh, to build strong leadership cultures. That what we, that's what we do as a, um, as a company. My son works with me. He's based in Washington, D.C. Uh, what I want to do tonight, I prefer this to be as interactive as possible, so I, I don't want you just to sit there, feel free to kind of, you know, say, I don't buy that, that's crazy talk, that doesn't make sense. I'll learn more, you'll learn more, it'll be good that way, okay? So um, you don't have to be deferential to me, but uh, let me do tell you a little bit about the context in which this came. So one of my clients um, is a SaaS-based system in terms of how they go to market. You guys know what that is, right? Uh, it's all in the cloud. And so uh, they said, we think we've got some challenges, but you come and watch us work and you tell us what you think's going on. So I said, okay. So what they have is client-facing teams, a bunch of people, right, in their offices, talking to a bunch of clients in other offices around the country and some around the world. And uh, they're trying to coordinate and talk to each other so that they can configure a cloud-based software. Uh, and there's lots of complications and lots of variability. Uh, that's the advantage of cloud-based software, uh, but it's also the challenge too, because uh, how do we configure it when there's so many different options and how do you need it done? And we don't want to do custom because that's counter to the whole idea of this. And so I began to watch people. One of the things that was great about this company was that they record every conversation they have between their clients and, um, and their client-facing teams. So from my perspective, that was awesome. I, I like to watch people work, and, and I could do that for hours, because uh, that means I'm not working, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I like to watch people work, but I also like to be able to really listen very carefully and try to understand what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. Um, I'm, a, uh, you know, uh, I'm a football player. When I was in college, I had a football scholarship. And I always like to have what I call game film. That is, I can, I can go over and over these. And so I would listen to what was going on. What came out of it was um, this, uh, this little bit of training I'm going to do today. And what I realized is that they were doing work that was very, very complex. So incredibly complex work with lots of variability, lots of opportunities for things to go south. Their ecosystem included brokers, insurance carriers, them, uh, hundreds and hundreds of client companies with their own cultures, their own internal politics. Uh, it was just, just a very complex system, but it had to be collaborative. They had to work together. And that was the challenge. And um, well, this is what we, we came up with in terms of to begin to help them. And so uh, this training initially was for client-facing teams. And then they said, we have the same problem when we work inside our companies. That is, we're not always nice to each other here and we don't always listen really well. And so we needed to work on our communication inside the company. So now I teach this as a new hire class uh, for hundreds of people, uh, but I also work with an advanced class trying to help people who have client-facing relationships. Um, so when the work is complicated and uh, complex and has to be collaborative, we talk about this. We talk about response readiness. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through this. Uh, three things I want to get done today. I want to uh, talk to you about why this is important for you to learn. And uh, I'm just guessing because I don't know you really well. 
So you can um, elaborate and say, I made a miss, or that's right on. I'm happy to hear that. So I really want to make the case as to why this is important. Uh, the second thing I want to do is I want to uh, see if you will self-identify in terms of um, your preferred ways, your instinctive, natural ways uh, to, uh, to actually work with people when you're put into a work situation. So well, that'll be fun. Well, it's not going to be scientific. There's not going to be a database here, but it's going to be an opportunity. So I think this is my instinctive style. And then the third thing I want to do is I want to show you uh, the three steps, the three basic steps of a response readiness conversation. And, um, and you'll walk away something to work, away, work with. Um, uh, any questions you have of me right off the bat or anything you want to uh, you know, poke at me with or say, any cries for help, any screams for mercy, I'm up for all of that. A anything that comes to mind? Okay, all right, here we go, all right. So um, I'm going to ask you to do something. Let's get you going involved in doing something. So what I want you to do, uh, just something to write with, blank piece of paper. You've got stuff in front of you. Uh, I want you to, um, to draw plans for a swing. I want, just don't worry about your artistic ability, right? Because we always worry about getting A's. Just draw up plans for a swing. Um, if you want to do a bill of materials, you know, a bomb, they call it sometimes, uh, go ahead and do that. But just quickly draw a swing, and uh, I'm the customer, I want a swing, I want you to draw one for me. So would you please do that? And I'm just going to give you about a minute or so to do it. So no, don't worry about anything, it'll be okay. But just go ahead and draw a swing for me. Because uh, it's going to be my swing, you're going to make one for me. And if you have a, you know, some thinking, oh, here's what I need. I need chain, or I need, you know, whatever I need. Uh, let's let's play with it a little bit. Just be playful. <laughs> is, he, is he copying off you, James? Is it the other way around? <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll we'll call an end to this iteration. I know your swing is going to be. It's not completely done yet, but you've got to you've got to start on it. You know what you're building. You know what you're drawing for me. So now uh, let, me, uh, let me ask a question here. Uh, how many of you do something like this? Anybody draw a tree swing with a tire? Nobody, nobody did. Nobody did. Uh, tell me what kinds of swings uh, showed up. Uh, what, what kind of swings did you draw? Who wants to volunteer? Oh, okay, an A-frame with uh, two, it looks like two swings, two seats. Very good, I love that. What else, uh, anybody else draw something other than A-frame swings? Okay, very good, one. Uh, oh, 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 this is a romantic here. <laughs> we have a bench swing here, made for two, I'm thinking, something like that. Awesome, well played, sir. Uh, what now? And you put Spider-Man up there? <laughs> very good. And what else, what else uh, did y'all draw? Anything else uh, different from that? No one had any tire swings at all? Um, did anyone do like a porch swing? That was kind of close to a porch swing, yeah. but... Yeah, anybody? you request a swing for you. Yeah, well for me, I'm the customer. Yeah. But I may not be the end user, but I'm the one writing the check. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, how many of your swings for, were for children? I mean, primarily for children. Any for uh, grown-ups? Come on, that was a grown-up swing. I know. Oh, yours is too? Oh, I love it. Oh, both and, both and, very good, very good, all right. Now, uh, the reason I like to start with this is that this is kind of what I think is the normal kind of environment. It's an artificial thing, but it's the normal kind of environment that we put 
uh, IT professionals, and almost any kind of marketplace professional into. Um, uh, very demanding. Um, expect you to act and act quickly, right? You gotta hit your deliverables, you gotta hit your times, uh, you gotta make sure it happens. Uh, so I'm gonna put you into a pressure-filled situation where you're gonna perform and make something for another person. Maybe for the business side of the business, maybe for a client, maybe for an internal customer, but you're gonna be doing that very, very quickly. That's the normal thing. And what happens is that we don't usually push back when we're told, make me a swing, make me one of these. Now, you, none of you did this because you're very polite and respectful. Um, <laughs> but you, you know what, in maybe in other settings, you might have been more free to say, wait a minute, who's this for? Uh, is this for grown-ups? Uh, who's gonna be using it? Uh, what does it need to be in terms of design? Uh, what are your concerns in terms of safety? Uh, what's gonna make this fun? Uh, what is the, um, the material that I'll be able to work with? <clears throat> Most of us are in these environments where we're asked to simply act and react and get things done. And, well, well let's, let me ask you some questions. I want you to ask two questions. What's, what could go wrong in a work environment where people are given assignments and just crank on them, but really haven't slowed anything down to figure out what we're really 100% trying to make. What could go wrong on the business side? And then I'll come back and ask what could go wrong on the personal experience side. So we'll start with the business side. What could go wrong if we just, we just make stuff and crank? What, 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 what downside is there for a business sometimes? Well, we come up with something that works perfectly and is not what the customer wants. Not what the customer wants, okay. Has that ever happened? It's fine, but it's not what they wanted because that was never communicated. That was never communicated. Not what the customer wanted. Um, build on that. What happens when you make something the customer doesn't want? You lose money and time. Don't you lose money and time. It escalates to the big bosses, right? Uh, they sometimes say, why did you build this? Uh, now I have to get involved. Um, your reputation in the marketplace can suffer. Tell me more about losing money and time. What, uh, what does that look like in terms of our day-to-day -day experience? What's money and time look like? Rework. That was, that was one of the major reasons I was brought into this client company initially was they were doing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of rework. Um, and they knew they were believing that, but they didn't know why. And so part of it was the challenge there. So rework is another thing. Anything else um, in terms of what, what, what's the downside for the business? Trust. What now? Trust. Trust. Cost? Trust. 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 Oh, that's a really interesting, that does come up, that now I don't trust you to even know what I want. So you failed this time. We spent all this time, money, conversation, talk, all these hours, all these smart people on calls, and now I'm going, mm -mm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it again. Yes. And that's what a lot, of, so a lot on the business side, there's all kinds of downside. Now let's just talk, now make it personal. Think about your work experience and the people that you work with. What does this do to individual contributors? And we know how bad it is for the business. What does that do to you as an individual contributor? They don't feel appreciated. I don't feel appreciated. You can feel isolated, like they don't listen. They don't listen. And depending on how it works out, right? Know, do they stand by the people? Do they stand by the people, or do they cut you loose and blame it on you? 
Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just how David is. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get him off of that project. Yeah, we'll move him on. So I feel at risk. I feel underappreciated. I feel maybe even my skills are not fully deployed. I spent all of this time learning how to do something, and I consider myself a professional, and only to make stuff that people don't want. Um, you're, you're getting there. What, what else does it do? <laughs> you're smiling. What are you thinking? <laughs> you're just kind of reliving experiences. I'm, we need just to have a moment of silence for you. <laughs> because people, it's, it's really frustrating for them. So a lot of frustration. Uh, what does rework do to the individual's life when they have to do rework? Stress. Stress. Um, longer hours. That so-called work-life balance goes away because now we got to redo this. We missed our launch date. Now we had, you know, all that type of stuff. What else? You might leave the company. Say that again? You might leave the company. You might, yes. So attrition. So in a talent war, what happens? I'm not going to. I'm going somewhere else where I'm appreciated, where I'm not blamed, uh, where I'm not part of this political thing. All this type is going on. Um, what happens if you have a lot of client interaction or internal customer interaction? How does, what's that, what are those conversations like if you've kind of missed the mark? Are they happy conversations? <laughs> what now? Will you say something too? Sometimes it can become a blame game. It becomes a blame game. It does. And so, you know, so when you go home and the people in your home ask you, how was work today? Crazy. Crazy. Um, sometimes I hear things like this. I don't feel like I got anything done. I feel like I was just going from meeting to meeting. I don't think I got anything done. Um, how was your work today? Oh, it was great. I had people yell and scream at me. <laughs> it's what I live for. It was so awesome. I mean, I, heard, I was called names. I have never been called before. Right? So now we're in this. This is, the, this is a lot of what it feels like at times, especially in your world, but in the marketplace in general. So... My argument is, just to try to kind of give you motivation for this lesson, it's an attempt to chip away at that. There's no silver bullet, but it's an attempt to chip away at that behavior and give you some tools, okay? So that's why I would argue this is worthwhile training for tonight. Why? Because what it can do for a business, but really what it can do for you and your friends that you work with. Um, yeah, so that's kind of lesson number one. I wanted to make that clear. Now, um, I've got some other news I want to share with you. Well, so, this is one of my favorite little uh, things here. Have you seen this before? Oh, I'm, I'm getting out of sync here. Uh, this term solutioning. I'm a words guy. So I'm, I'm like, I, I'm not a language guy, so I can't code in anything. So I'm kind of worthless uh, from your point of view. I get that. Uh, so my, my languages are Greek and Hebrew. So if you need uh, Homer translated, I'm your boy, you know. But I don't really have marketable skills like you do. And um, so, but I'm always hearing, listening for words. And some of us, English is our second language. We're trying to hear how is this word being used. And so I was doing this phone work. I was listening to phone calls of these client conversations. And I was with a senior leader, and she said, oh, we're doing it again. I said, what are we doing? 
We're solutioning. And I could tell by the tone of her voice, it wasn't a positive use of that term. But I'd never heard the word solution with the ing ending, that, that participle ending. I said, oh, so what, what do you mean when, we, when you say we're solutioning again? And I stole this definition from her. She said, oh, this is what solutioning is. Solutioning is solving client problems or internal customer problems, solving client problems in real time before having fully explored the real issue. That's what I tricked you into doing. I tricked you into making a swing for me. But no one said, wait a minute, I can't do that because I don't know what we're talking about yet. Um, but I think that happens a lot. And we solution a lot. And here's the other thing. I was promised by Amanda and others that this is going to be a room full of really smart people. Now, here's the downside of being really smart. You want to solution bad. <laughs> <laughs> It makes you feel good. Because I spent all of this time learning this stuff, and I just want to solve problems. That's what I'm about. And so we're kind of wired to want to do this. So um, you get some of the motivation. Some of you have probably seen this. It's on the internet. Uh, this is what happens when you solution sometimes. Um, have you seen this before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyone have a favorite one of these little uh, snapshots that you think of is your favorite one? Like, I worked for a web development company for five years, so uh, I did have a little exposure to uh, the IT world. I was a strategist for our client companies, uh, Spindustry Systems here in town, if you know Spindustry. So that's who I worked with, those guys. And uh, my favorite one was uh, uh, how the project was documented. <laughs> because these guys are going like coders are going we don't do documentation you know uh, we never ask if you need it or don't need it that's what we're all about does anyone else have a favorite one up there that you like the best what's the what's the stump the stump here this is how the project was supported that's my favorite right? <laughs> that's your favorite one uh, what say though which one is yours the, the one that is built how it was oh, how it was built yes yeah. <laughs> Are you on the financial side of the team? <laughs> <laughs> or sales? <laughs> no, but I had to address the billing cost. Yes, yes, how it was billed. Anyone else have a favorite one? Yeah. I, I like them all, you know, how the programmer wrote it, uh, you know, uh, how the beta testers received it, how the business consultant described it. You know, this was one of my favorite too, because it's like, you know, an easy chair, and the sun is rising, and it's beautiful. You know, that's, that's the chair, that's the one you want to sit in. That's a great one. So, uh, that's the motivation behind, um, you know, why this kind of training is good. Now, let me tell you something about this training. How many of you um, have maybe small children in your life? Young children, really, really young children. Anybody have small kids, young kids? How many of you started as young children? Most of you? <laughs> okay, so you probably you know that, that, that world. Now, this training is, think about this training. This training is somewhat different than the training that a lot of us receive. A lot of us get technical training. You know, learn how to do something, learn how to build something, learn code, uh, learn all the grammar that goes with the code, all those types of things. This training is not about information. There's information in it, but this training is not that way. This training is what we, I'd call formation training, not information training. And the reason I asked you if you have any small children in your life is that this training is more like potty training. 
than it is anything else. <laughs> you understand? Yes, because potty training is, um, I can grasp the information about you know, going to the bathroom, but I'm a small person and I'm thinking, do I want to keep playing or do I want to, no, I'm not sure. And, and, and so I have to have different habits. I have to choose a different um, uh, behavior. Uh, and, and over time, it will form me. And I'll have this kind of natural instinct to do it, but it's not my natural instinct. I just want to play. I don't want to go potty, you know? I just want to keep playing. So it's more formation than information. Now here's what that means. It means that the way you learn this is by doing it over and over again. That's how you learn how to do this. Um, anybody here play a musical instrument? You play, what do you play? So you've learned lots of instruments. Yeah. So in musicians, so it's formation. I can, you can know how to do the frets and you can understand it, but you've got to run your scales. And you got, yeah, and you've got to do it over and over again before it comes a natural instinct. Uh, so musical instruments are like that. Or um, it's more like learning a language. So some of us have learned English and it wasn't our, our first language. And how, was that great fun? That was hard, probably. And it took, you had to do it over and over again. And the more you did it, the more it became natural and instinctive. Uh, the Greeks actually had a word for that. It was called second nature. They said, this wasn't your natural way to speak, but if you do it over and over again, it becomes second nature. That's what the ancient Greeks called it. And it just comes by formation over and over again. So think about this training this way. I'm just introducing it tonight. But um, it gives you something that if you keep doing this over and over again, you'll get better at. Make sense? Now let me tell you <clears throat> what your instinct is. Let me share with you that. Uh, <clears throat> I already mentioned the curse of knowledge. Smart people, it makes sense to you, but sometimes when you're working with people who are like internal customers, they don't understand what you're talking about. Does it ever happen? And then you go like into the break room going, they don't get it. What's wrong with those people? I just, I, I dumbed it down for them. <laughs> well, not far enough, you know? So it's called the curse of knowledge. Um, there's this little game that psychologists play called the tapping game. And the tapping game is, um, if I played it with you, for example, uh, what they would do is this. They would say, um, one of us will tap out a song, and then you guess what the song is. And so, here we go. I'm going to tap out a song. You tell me what it is. What song is that? I don't know. Mary Had a Little <laughs> No. <laughs> Though that's one of my all-time favorites. So here's what they found out. If they asked me, how likely is the person listening, how likely is the person listening to the tapping to uh, hear it? I'm going to say, and this is what they found out, is people say, it's a real common song. I know it's hard, but it's really common. I'd say 50% likely that they would be able to guess it. 50%. And then when they'd ask them to guess, it was like 3%, 2%, something like that would actually guess it. Because what happens is when you're tapping it out, you, you're hearing it. And you're thinking, surely you're hearing it too. This is so easy. This is happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. It was like so easy. But uh, that curse of knowledge blinds us to what it's like not to have the same knowledge, insight, and background as you. 
And so that is a huge barrier to communication. So, um, curse of knowledge. Now, let me ask you what your natural response type. I'm going to give you three basic ways that I watch people try to communicate and collaborate. All right? See which one represents you. And there's no wrong one. There's no wrong one at all. But these are what I would call instinctive or natural response types. So the first one is what I call a teller. And then I have acceptor, guesser, and discover. Let me unpack teller. So I'm listening to the phone call. And um, this person is talking to their client. It might be on a conference call. And I'm telling you how this is going to be. OK, here's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to build out the server. We're going to launch on this such and such a day. These are the deliverables. I think we're going to design it this way. This is what the architecture is going to be. And uh, so uh, any questions? I, I'm sure you don't have. That's great. You don't have any good. Uh, here we go. So the teller's approach was I master my, my area of expertise, whether it's language or network or hardware or whatever it is that you do. I master it. And then what I do is I tell people how it's going to be. Okay? Anyone ever, you know, so I'm going to ask you in a second, are you a natural teller? Is that, I love to do that. I spent my whole life learning this stuff. And now I'm, I tell people how they needs to work and how it's got to be set up. So that's a teller. That's a teller. Now I'll, I'll, I'll describe some others in a second here. But I listen to a lot of people who are tellers. Now, just as a second, just to kind of unpack this, what's the downside of being a teller? You don't listen. And what, could you be wrong? Sometimes tell, no, no, but James, no, no. Say it, say it ain't so, man. No, sometimes, so what happens is, is that sometimes we're wrong, sometimes we don't listen. Now, here's the listening piece. Now, I'm an old man, okay? So I'm an old guy. So imagine I'm an old guy, and uh, I can't remember. It's David back there. We'll pick on David, okay? Because he's a musician. He's used to being, you know, you were, you know, that bass was too fast, you know, slow down, thumper, you know, that type of thing. So <laughs> I get that. So um, I am an old man, and I walk into David's office. And for our thought experiment, he is the world's greatest orthopedic surgeon. He's the world's greatest orthopedic surgeon. And as I walk into his office, he sees how I'm walking. And without talking to me or anything, he says, oh, you need a hip replacement. And it's the left one. Let me call down to surgery and see if we can get that scheduled yet this month. <laughs> Maybe this afternoon, because <laughs> i got a break in the action here. And I gotta, you know, pay for this, you know, this new, uh, this new uh, trip to Hawaii or something. Okay, so that's what I need to do. Now, in my thought experiment, let's assume that David truly is the world's greatest orthopedic surgeon. That he's seen a bunch of guys my age walk in the way I walked in, and he is one hundred percent right. He has he has incredible knowledge, and he's telling me I need my left hip replaced. Here's the question. Do I trust him to do it? Maybe you can get in this afternoon and screw it. How much? <laughs> right. No. Back to your observation, trust. 
So I can. So have you ever had your expertise not used because you were right? This is what people needed, right? And and you're going. Those people, they just don't. They wouldn't do what I told them to do. So there's something's going on here that is more profound than just mastery and talent. And so sometimes people will say yes, but most of the time, you don't get to do the work sometimes. Your expertise doesn't get to be used if you have a teller instinct only. All right. We can talk more about that, but there's a lot of us that are tellers. That's how we approach it. Now, uh, the acceptor. Let me talk to you about acceptors. Now, some people were not tellers. They were acceptors. And so the acceptor would be something like this. Oh, I, I probably won't be able to say your name very well. Forgive me, please. But I, I need your first name. Shahida. Shahida? Yeah. Shahida. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So Shahida. Um, let's say um, I am uh, an acceptor, and I'm on the phone with Shahida. And you tell me what you think you need. Now, you're a customer or an internal customer. You know something about it, but, you know, I'm the expert. Here's how other people do this. They won't tell you what to do. They'll say, whatever you want, I'll go get one for you. I'll go make one. How soon do you want it? Oh, you want it tomorrow? We'll make, we'll make that happen. I will accept whatever you ask of me. Now, if you were born in the Midwest, we have a name for that. Uh, if you're born in Iowa, we have a very specific name for that. Have you ever heard the term Iowa nice? Has anyone heard the term Iowa nice? <laughs> no. <laughs> Iowa nice means that if you ask it, we're very agreeable. Yes, 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 we'll do this for you. Thank you for uh, 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 you know, you know, choosing us to work with us, okay? Now, here's the thing about Iowa nice. It's accepting on the phone, but in the break room or the parking lot, mm, no. You have no idea what these people were asking for today. <laughs> I told them we'd do it, but it's stupid. It's not going to work. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. These people are ignorant. I don't even know where they come from. How did this happen? What? But I said yes. So that's called, in psychological terms sometimes, passive aggressive behavior, passive aggressive behavior. And it's the chief export of the state of Iowa. We, we manufacture it here and we send it all over the world. All right? But that's the characteristic of the acceptor. That's the characteristic of the acceptor. Uh, I want you to like me. So now what's the downside of being an acceptor? What could happen? What could go wrong? Is I'm just I'm making my customer, internal customer, my colleague, outside marketplace customer. I'm making them happy. I'm saying yes, and I'm doing my best to deliver. What's the downside there? Well, you can't deliver, probably. Uh, Maybe I can't deliver. I don't have the resources. If you fail to deliver, what other downside can you think of? Maybe they don't know what they're doing. Oh, this happens all the time. So I, I, do, um, I, do what's, I do what's called termination ex, uh, interviews. And these are when companies decide not to renew their contracts. And they ask me to get on the phone and ask them, why don't you want to work with us anymore? And I'll hear things like this. 
you know, six months ago, we asked you to do this, and you did it for us. And no one explained to us the risk. No one explained to us how this might go sideways or break. And now uh, we are all in trouble here, and it's because no one told us the truth about what we needed. And that's the acceptor. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't do this. You didn't explain it. You let us drive the, the decision. We hired you for your expertise. But the person on the phone goes, I understand they don't like us anymore as a company. They love me. <laughs> and that happens all the time. It's like, you know, I like working with Mike, but you just don't resource him enough. You know, because he says you could, he, we could do it. And then you, the rest of your team is what's messing up. So an acceptor wants that approval and wants that, uh, that, uh, that kind of happy moment on the phone. Make sense to you? So um, some of you are tellers. Some of you are acceptors. Okay. I'm going to try to get you in the last one here. Some of you are guessers. Now, guessers fooled me for a long time. I didn't know what I was listening to. So a guesser, when they get on the phone call, they don't tell and they don't accept. Now, here's what the phone call sounds like, exaggerated. But sign, this is what the phone call sounds like. It sounds like this. I'm on the call, and I'm talking to Jim, and he's asking for something, or he's trying to explain something to me, and I'm saying things like this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, yeah. I got it. Yeah, I got it. No, God, I, yeah. I got it. I, I, hey, I can get going on right now. I got it. Now that, I didn't know what that was. But I ended up calling those people the ultimate speed freaks. Telling is very fast. Accepting is very fast. Guessing is the fastest way to do things. So guessers are people who are pattern recognizers. I've heard people ask for one of these in the past. I've done tons of them before. I don't need you to talk to me more. I already know, shut up, I just want to get going. I really don't like people that much. I just want to do the work, and I already know what it is, because I've seen the pattern over and over and over again. Let's just go. And the guesser just says, let's minimize the interaction, and let's just get on with it. And of course, the downside of a guesser, if you're a guesser, you've had this happen, sometimes guessers guess wrong. <laughs> and it's catastrophic. It's, it's unbelievably bad. But when they guess right, they kind of feel good. But those are the three main types that I saw. Now, I'll, I'll just unpack just real quickly. Now, what are you? So, uh, how, just best guess, how many of you think you're a teller? Well, who are the tellers in the room? David's you know, coming clean. We'll have a recovery program for you that we can put you into. <laughs> this is an intervention. Very good. Okay, we got a couple tellers in the back. Uh, what now? Sometimes. Sometimes in certain circumstances, and that, I get those answers a lot. It depends in certain circumstances. How many do you think are primarily acceptors? That's the, usually the highest number. That's the highest number usually. How many of you think you are guessers? Speed freak, speed freak. All right, good. I love that. Thank you for, I mean, that, those, those are what happens. So 
Um, and it does vary from setting to setting and occasion to occasion. But in general, that's what I saw. So just real quickly here, just so you know who you are and what your challenge is. Um, tellers, it's my job to tell a client what they want. I can make these, these slides available to you and things like that. Uh, it's um, acceptors, it's my job to listen and do what the client wants. Uh, they, they should know what's best for them, right? Uh, guessers, I don't want to annoy the client. I'll intuitively figure out what the client wants. I'll just, you know, uh, you know, I just kind of minimize the interaction and I'll figure it out because I'm a pretty good guesser. Yeah, so those are the three. Now, when I asked, I interviewed all three of these types and I said, well, help me understand why do you think you are that way? And so here's what they told me. Uh, some of them said things like, um, as a teller, I think my value is telling. Why would I even be on the project if they didn't want me to tell them? And what makes me feel good, I mean, makes me feel good about me, is I have answers. That feels great. That's, and so that's, that's pretty hard for me to say, stop being a teller when, hey, that's my value, and that's what makes me feel good. All right, so that's what tellers told me. If you're a teller, that might be part of what's going on inside you, because I gotta attack that if I'm gonna change your behavior. Uh, the acceptors told me this. Uh, the way I deliver value is I'm very responsive. I have a servant's heart, uh, I'm here to help people. I'm here to really take care of them. Uh, so that's how I deliver value. And you know what? I feel good when I avoid conflict and I get off the phone and people are happy. You know, now maybe they're not happy six months from now, but they love me. <laughs> they love me, all right? Now the, the guessers were like this, delivers value by anticipating needs quickly. So I'm, I'm, you come to me because I'm fast and I have tremendous intuition and I'm a pattern recognizer. Um, I feel good about me is because when people come to me and they say, like, I don't know if this is happening because you said you're a guesser. So sometimes guessers go, I just love it when people say, how did you know? How did you know we needed that? I mean, you already made one of those. You already anticipated, that's amazing. How do you do that? Well, I'm just amazing, you know. <laughs> I don't mean to brag or anything like that, but I get a lot of that. All right, so guess just like that. Yes? Yeah. Talking about the acceptor, could be that sometimes uh, we behave this way to avoid responsibility? Oh, now you're messing with people. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, yeah. Help me understand more of why you say that. Yeah. Yeah, tell me more yeah. about this. Yeah. <clears throat> we receive... Uh, some request mm -hmm. and well you know what I'm just going to do it the way the client asked yes. so it's not my fault it's not my fault yeah, that was your request it's a way to deflect accountability and responsibility uh -huh. so for some of us it's a political move mm -hmm. internal politics mm -hmm. sometimes it's um, I don't like conflict it makes me feel I don't feel good mm -hmm. so I'm, I want people happy with me so I'm a conflict avoider some acceptors give away the farm. They say, oh yeah, we can make one of those. And they go, that's 60 hours of programming. That's not six. You know, we don't have that in the budget. That's gonna blow our timelines up. That's gonna blow up all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of things going on. So I, I think it's just being human. You know, we bring all that to our work. Um, and so that's part of what we're after. So you know a little bit about this, the discovery Sometimes I would come across people that seem to be natural um, discovery people. That's the fourth kind. Um, 
They deliver value by asking questions, listening, and getting down to precise understandings of what the situation is and what the needs really are. So they do tremendous amounts of discovery by just not knowing. Again, smart people, very hard not to know. Very hard not to know because you know. Even it's hard to hold your fire because you know what the answer is. So that's, that's what discovery is about. I, I think this is rare. I think this is rare as a natural type. So when I, let's say, for example, you say, Mike, I think I'm a, a discovery guy. I think I'm totally, James, I think you're a discovery guy. When I would interview a guy that would say, I think I'm a natural question asker, I said, well, tell me about your career. And the more I would hear them talk, what I would hear is this. Well, you know what, I think I started off as a teller. <laughs> and that didn't go really well. And I think over time, I started to learn and to ask more questions. So what happens is it's a learned behavior because there's enough catastrophes that you said accepting, telling, or guessing is not the way to go. I need to find a way that's not my instinctive approach. So some of us, most of my, most of my IT friends have been like this. They've had so many catastrophic bad experiences that they've kind of slipped into this unintentionally, which is great. I'm just going to give model for it. But it's, if you're like, I've learned the hard way to be a question asker, to slow down. Like one of my, you can't see it very well. Apologize, we just don't have really strong uh, projection tonight. But one of my, um, my favorite things about discovery is stay stupid longer. I tell people that all the time. Stay stupid longer. Because don't know. Suspend judgment. Uh, withhold answers. Uh, stay stupid longer. Have you ever gone to movies where people sitting next to you are saying they're explaining the movie to you and it's like annoying? You know, like, uh, you know, like a space movie like Star Wars and they're going, that could never happen. Um, you know, there's a vacuum in space and you can't hear lasers firing or anything like that. That's stupid. That could never happen. Hey, stay, st suspend judgment. It's just a story. Let the story play out. Relax. Relax. So part of it is this ability to not know and to be okay with ambiguity and letting other people talk that we're trying to collaborate with. Take a breath, let them talk, stay curious, stay stupid longer, ask another question. One of the things I found when I listened to all these talks, I found that people were one or two questions away from a real discovery. And if they had just asked one or two more questions, they would have gotten to the real issues. They just stopped too soon. They stopped too soon. Questions, feedback, pushback? These are the two big things. This is, now, the, next, the rest of this will be pretty simple. And, um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll wrap you know, these three steps. Now, I was a linebacker in college. I don't know, you know, American-style football. You know, so, you know, we're, we play with, you know, we play crazy stuff. You have to have helmets and stuff. Uh, <laughs> so we play football. I wasn't smart enough to play on the offensive side, uh, so they made me play defense. Uh, my, my job description was see guy with ball, run into guy with ball, till guy with ball fall down. <laughs> Repeat until we win. So I was a linebacker. I played linebacker. So that's what I did. So I need it simple so that I can do it in the moment. 
So I'm giving you three simple steps. These are hard steps. They're like potty training. You just got to work on them over and over again until it becomes natural. But they're really three simple steps. Ready to do them? All right. A couple things just to keep in mind, for example. Always remember this. Everyone that you meet is an iceberg. Every project is an iceberg. Um, there's always more beneath the surface than above the surface. So you don't see what you need to see. You don't know what you need to know. So every person in every project is an iceberg. There's tons of stuff below the surface that you don't know. Like I work with people in, in uh, healthcare benefits and they, they don't know, for example, that this company is going to change the insurance carrier during the next annual enrollment. Because they don't ask. They assume nothing's changed. They, you know, they have to, they have to admit that there's something I can't see. And so you've always got to get below. The second thing that's really important is you have a strong desire to act without sufficient knowledge. You want to go. You want to go. Tell, accept, guess, all of them are speed. Some's faster than other, but they all are speed. You have a strong desire to want to do that. And the last thing is the counterintuitive. It's, it seems illogical, but the counterintuitive thing is you can speed things up by slowing things down on the front end. Um, in the, one of my buddies is, uh, was um, a submariner. He's in the submarine corps. And uh, one of his phrases uh, is, um, you know, uh, fast is slow and slow is fast. Uh, he learned when he was in the military. Fast is slow and slow is fast. Fast is slow because if you go fast and it's wrong, then you've got to do it over again. So that's how they would remember. Fast is slow. Slow is fast. It's counterintuitive. If you slow down on the front end, you can speed up on the back end. But that's a big challenge because we don't want to do that. And by the way, we put you into organizational cultures where we say, don't go slow. So we actually design disaster into your life. <laughs> it's a little perverse thing, but we do this. And we put you into a marketplace that says speed is everything. And so we design this for this kind of disaster. Now, it's job security for us because we have to do rework, but it's frustrating for us, too. And our, our, our abilities don't get fully used. All right. So here it is. Three steps. Lead, translate, persuade. Lead, translate, persuade. This is all it is. Very simple. Um, it's a couple things to learn, a couple processes, and we're done for the night. I'll field questions, or we can get even more things, and you know, we'll go after. So lead. The reason I chose the word lead in the first step is I want you to believe that your job is to lead a guided conversation. So it's not like this. Ha whatever happens, happens. It's more like a guided conversation. So if you go to a, a medical doctor, a physician, and they talk to you as a patient, it may be very conversational in style, but I'll guarantee you that doctor is guiding the conversation because that doctor knows where that, what they need to talk about and what questions they need to ask. So it's a guided conversation. That's a form of leadership. And uh, it's lowercase l, not uppercase l, so it's not like a titled leadership, but you have to learn how to lead an intentionally guided conversation. So we'll talk about that in step one. Step two is translate. Translate means this, and again, it's great having people who have English as their second language, you understand language, is that translation is hard, and so what you have to do is you have to stop and say, do I understand? It's called check for understanding. Am I translating your words into something that's accurate? Is this your intention? 
And so I have to take your words and put it into words that make sense to me and you. But I let you use your language first, and then I translate it into my work and how that work would play out. So there is a translation piece. Uh, there's an old saying that seek first to understand, then to be understood. This is what we mean by this. And it has to be an intentional part of how you work with people. And then the third is persuade. The reason I use persuade is that most of the time my assumption is this. You and I are working with people who have uh, a request or an idea that is not good for them. Sometimes you have, they actually get it and they know it, but most of the time they don't. So what you're going to have to do is convince them not to go with their idea and go with the hybrid or yours or some version that never occurred to them. Now remember, ideas are like children. They are special when they are your own. So it's very hard for people to say, but my idea is so beautiful. This is a beautiful idea. Well, it's your baby, but not my baby. <laughs> it's not as beautiful to me as it is to you. And so you have to persuade people to get off of their idea sometimes and onto a better path. And that's your job as a professional, so that your expertise gets used. All right? So three steps. We'll just go through it real quick. And then um, we'll see what kind of questions you have. So the first thing, let's talk about lead. Again, customers don't know what they want. Oh, well, they know what they want. They don't know what they need. All right? So Jobs, I think, was right. They don't know what they need. So uh, our assumption is we have to guide the conversation to find out what's the, real, what's the real need here. Not as what they ask is, but what's the real need. So the very first thing that I ask people to do is to learn how to slow down a fast-moving professional. Now, a fast-moving professional is scary. Um, these, are, these are people, internal customers, external clients. They're in a hurry. When are you going to have that for me? How soon can we get it done? Uh, I need this now. We need this for the next trade show. We have to be able to launch in the spring. Blah, 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 blah. You know, they're like fast-moving, scary, crazy people, right? And so you say, how do I slow down a fast-moving professional? Um, I'll give you a technique. A simple process. Um, and, and here's how it works. The first thing you do is you start by telling them what you want to do. This, is, this, is real, this works very well. I've worked for over 20 years. With, so the first thing I do is I say, here's what I'd like to do. Um, I can't remember your name. It's on. Okay, how do you say it? It's on. It's on. Uh, it's on. I am. N-I-Z-A-M. Uh, Nizam. Oh, very good. So Nizam, I love this. Uh, so Nizam, um, so the, if I'm trying to have a guided conversation with you, and you've made a request of me already, like you want to swing, I would say something like this. Hey, love the fact that you've chosen us to build your swing. You know, typically what I like to do is just stop at the very beginning and ask you a few questions, learn a little bit more about what you're trying to get done. So I'm telling you what my agenda is. Now, this is very important psychologically. Why do I tell people what I want to do? Very first thing I do, my overview statement is just to declare, of my, this is my agenda. I want to have a conversation with you about what you're trying to accomplish. Why do I do that? Set, set expectations, uh, get ownership. Here's something that is very kind of psychologically in people. 
When I'm, when I'm working with another person, I'm afraid that, that Mike is not, he's going to trick me into doing what he wants to do. You know, I've worked with these IT people before, and Assam knows this. He knows how we are. And he's saying to himself, uh, I've got to be on my guard here because uh, this is not what they're asking for. So one of the things that you have to assume in every conversation with people, in general, not always, but in general, is that there's fear in the conversation. And the way that you've drained the fear out of the conversation is by saying, this is what I want to do. My hands are open. I have no secrets. I just want to talk. And I want to ask some questions. So I, I, I come without any agenda other than my desire to discover. Now that's really important. Here's something that we know about fear. Have you had this happen? People are listening to you. They're not buying into it. There's anxiety of some kind. Fear means anxiety, uncertainty, I've been tricked before, all those sorts of things. And you're going, I couldn't get them to do what they should do. And the reason is, is that fear blinds people to the value of your answers. Fear blinds people to the value of your solutions. You have a good solution for them, but the fear kept them blinded. And so I'm doing everything I can to drain the fear out of the conversation. And one of the ways I do that is just saying, here's all I want to do. And it's truly all I want to do. So I have no game. I'm not playing games. I have no agenda. So that's the first step. If we had more time, well, I'd workshop with you on this. And we'd learn how to do this more because you wouldn't learn how to do it. So overview is share what you'd like to do. In this case, discovery. Then usually come back with a benefit. Uh, so Nissan, what I'd like to do is I'd like to um, just start by listening to you. Tell me a little bit about the swing project and where, you're, where, you're, where your thinking is these days. That's my overview. Now my benefit statement might be something like that. That way... When I do start on the project, I'll be able to, to get it done in time for the kids to play on it yet this, this uh, fall before the snow comes. So that's a benefit statement. I can get it done on time. Or that way, when I build it, I can make sure I'm efficient and I don't spend more money than I need to because I know you're on a budget. That's a benefit. So when I have the overview statement, I come back with what I think the benefit is. In the marketplace, sometimes that way we can be really efficient or we can really forecast um, what a reasonable release date will be for this software, or a hundred different things that are value. But I'm usually just kind of saying, here's what I want to do, here's the benefit to you. And the benefit statement is um, like a second person statement, like this way, this is what is good for you. So second person, so that's why these, you would want to do this. It'll save you money, it'll be more efficient, it'll be more effective. Uh, we won't have to do rework like other projects that we've heard about in the company, that type of thing. So those are all benefit statements. Does it make sense? So that's powerful because I drain the fear out. I tell you that I'm seeking your good. I want benefit to you. And then the last thing I do in this is I ask permission. Nissan, would that be okay? Now, why do I ask for permission? What's, what's, the, what, what's the human dynamic when you ask for permission? Receive their blessing. Say that again? Receive their blessing. Receive their blessing. That's a really, I've never had anybody say that. That's a beautiful way to say it. Um, because I have treated you with respect, you can bless me with this interaction. 
So uh, the big thing that I'm looking for is it's a way of showing respect. It's a way of showing respect. Now, I had one guy from New Jersey that fought me on this. Now, some of you who you know, know American culture know that New Jersey is like in your face type, right? They don't, they don't ask for permission. We just do it. You know, that, you know, that's how it is. So one of my buddies, his name was Tony, of course, and he was from Jersey. And he come to Tony and said, I'm not going to ask for respect. I'm not going to ask for permission. That's stupid. I said, Tony, why don't you want to, why don't you want to ask for permission to have a discovery conversation? He says, I, I don't want to appear weak. I want to be strong. I want to be strong. I said, okay, I get that. Um, tell you what, Tony, what I'd like to do is I'd just like to take a moment or two to talk to you about um, you know, why you think permission is not the way to go. But that way you'll understand how powerful it can be. Would that be okay? See what I did there? I just did overview benefits and permission with him. And he said, oh, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I disarmed his fear. He saw a benefit in it. And I treated him with respect, and he said yes. 95% of the time, people will say yes. You know, um, here's, here, in America, uh, our culture has become very disrespectful, very disrespectful. So we treat people like objects, and it's not right. Um, if you show respect, it shocks people into paying attention. So has anyone ever had to work in a fast food restaurant, like a McDonald's or something like that? Anybody have? You dodged that bullet as IT pros? Yeah, okay. Have you ever eaten in a fast food place like a McDonald's or a Burger King or something like that? You all know about that. So they, we treat those people like vending machines. So when we use language, we come up to them and we say things like, um, can I get a... Can I get a Big Mac? Well, that's what you say to a thing. You say that to a vending machine. Can I get a Diet Coke? Or yes, the number three. Huh? Combo number three. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. You give me a number three. Yeah. Yeah, just give me a number three. Mm -hmm. Extra value meal, number three. That type of stuff. All right, so try this. You walk up to a person who's been treated with disrespect and you show them respect, you shock them into paying attention. So I do this all the time. I walked into Arby's not too long ago. Late at night, I've been doing some work. I come into Arby's, late night manager, and I ask for you know, a Reuben, everything else. And I, and I say, may I have a Reuben and some curly fries? And he looked at me and he said, well, <laughs> what did he say? You said you're in Arby's? No. This is in Chick-fil-A. Oh, you're in Chick-fil-A. Oh, that's better yet, man. That's awesome. But he, did, he looked at me and he goes, well, yes, you may. And when he rang me up, it was like $4. And I know it was like 8 or $9 worth of order. And I said, why'd you do that? And he said, I'm the manager. I can do this. And... Uh, I don't get people talking to people like that around here very often. It just shocked him into paying attention. So respect's very, very powerful if we do this right. So first thing you'll need to learn how to do if you're going to lead a conversation is how to ask for a discovery conversation. The fast-moving people, they're scary. Here's why I want to slow down before we do anything. Here's uh, what the benefit is to you. Would that be okay? What happens if they say no? What do you do? Start over again. Say it again. Well, I could. But know what I, know what I normally do? Um, so why is that? And they'll say, oh, you don't know this, but I just got a call from my 
daughter's third grade teacher, and she's sick and I need to go get her. Oh man, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I'm talking to an iceberg. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what's going on. So I'm letting them, I said, hey, tell me why, why does it make sense? Uh, I just, we just found out our CIO has um, resigned and we don't know if this project's gonna keep going or not. Um, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm talking to icebergs. I'm always remembering I'm talking to icebergs. You get below the surface. So they say, no, I'm going, why? I just stay curious. No, sometimes I don't want to do it. Either do it or don't do it. Okay, well, that's, that happens. But not as often as you might imagine if you learn how to do this. So that's step one. Uh, we're still in lead. I'll give you another little process here. What happens if, um, what happens if Dave says yes? I asked for a discovery conversation, and he says yes. And I see what do I, what do, I do? What do I do? Uh, I've never had anybody say yes. <laughs> so here's what I do. I will, um, I will ask them a question. And I'm ready because I'm, I'm prepared. So I ask them a question. And the question I will ask them is an open-ended question. An open-ended question to which there is no right or wrong answer. Now, the reason I do that, what, would, what do you think the reason is you do that? Why do you op use open-ended questions when you start? Get them to talk. This is the success. Remember I listened to all these phone calls? One of the things I measured, so here's a metric, was I asked myself, how many times does my client company talk, and how many times does their client, does their customers talk? You know what the answer was? About 85% of the time, the IT professionals were talking. About 15% of the time, the people they're trying to work with were talking. It was eye-opening. So here's the measure of success. They should at least talk 50% of the time. I would like it if they talked about 35, I'm sorry, about 70% of the time. I think that you don't have to talk nearly as much as you think you need to talk. 25%, I've, I've seen one, um, one client of mine ask five questions in a 60 minute um, conference call. And it was amazing what happened. They were well-chosen, open-ended questions that got people talking. So here's the measure of success. Choose an open-ended question to which there's no right or wrong answer and hold the space open. Don't try to fill the air. Don't try to fill the air. That's a measure of success. It's like holding the elevator doors open. It takes a little bit of energy to keep these things open. You've got to keep them open. Then let them talk. Let them talk. Um, if we had more time, I'd go through all, I mean, I, I collect questions. You guys are like nerds and geeks in your own area. I'm nerdy when it comes to questions. So I collect questions. Here's my favorite open-ended question. If you don't know anything else, this is the universal solvent of uh, open-ended questions. So, Nissan, thanks for, you know, let me ask you a few questions. I want to just start by saying, so what are you hoping to accomplish by building a swing? That's my accomplishment question. It's general, it's not like goals or deadlines. You can ask all those things if you want, but it's broad enough and there's enough ambiguity that people can say, that's, my, that's the universal one. There's others that we can talk about. But if you learn nothing more than you, so what are you hoping to accomplish uh, with this deadline? What are you hoping to accomplish with this project? What are you hoping to accomplish with these three deliverables? Uh, well, how will that help and why do you think that will be the win? Why will that be a win for your organization? All those types of things, very powerful, and just, just very innocently asked, and you can get people talking. Now what happens when people talk? What are you supposed to be doing? Listening. Listening. Now, 
Um, if we had more time, what I would do is I would uh, want you to learn how to take notes. So I teach people how to take notes. Now, I'm old-fashioned. I know I'm in an IT setting here, but I believe they should be handwritten notes. That's based on research. If you want to talk about research, go out and Google all this stuff. But uh, many, many people are realizing that handwritten notes like you are taking, what that forces you to do is to hear and interpret what I'm saying and put it into your words that make sense to you. If you're typing it, what it does is you're recording it, but you're not interpreting it. And so many college professors are now asking people to take handwritten notes. Uh, my, uh, my tool of choice uh, for every meeting is um, a journal. So this is uh, my journal, and my journal is blank pages. All right? And I have put the date and the time, and I can find everything in here. I can print an index for it. It's simple to set up, but I'm listening, and I'm taking handwritten notes. That's how I do every meeting. If it's face-to-face -face with Nassim, I will say, may I take notes while you talk? I want to respect you. If it's on the phone, of course, I'm doing it. Uh, but I'm taking handwritten notes. If you want to take a shot of it, make it a PDF and put it into your file, you can turn it into a digital uh, image. But handwritten notes are very powerful. Now, let me tell you what to listen for. Two things. The first thing you should listen for is that people, um, you want to listen for um, words that have multiple meanings. Words that have multiple meanings. So when you learned English, many of us learned English for the first time, and <laughs> a funny thing, when I started studying Greek, I was kind of learning English for the first time, because <laughs> I found out how little I knew my own language. Uh, so it was a really uh, eye-opener. One of the things that you learn is that words do not have a one-to-one -one correspondence. They don't, they mark off a field of meaning, but they don't have a one-to-one -one correspondence, which is a shock to your system. So when I use the word trunk, what am I talking about? An elephant trunk? Uh, tree trunk? Car trunk? Um, a trunk in a telephone line? Sometimes it's used that way. So many meanings, right? So whenever you hear someone say a word that has multiple meanings, multiple possible meanings, stay stupid longer and say, when you use that word, what do you mean? So when you say, I want, I want to make sure that your team is really responsive to us during this project. Hey, a lot of, our, a lot of our, our internal customers say they want us to be responsive. I'm wondering, when you say responsive, what do you mean? Because <coughs> not everyone has the same definition of what responsive is. Um, I want to make sure that we're really lean. I want to make sure that um, we're really cost effective. I'm wondering, what, what does cost effective look like in this particular project? Um, I want to make sure that we use really elegant code. You know, what, is, what does elegant code uh, look like in this particular setting using this coding language or this architecture? Um, all of those things have multiple meanings. So you're listening for those because when you use the word like, I want to make sure that it's really effective, I'm going to say, Nassim, tell me, what do you mean by effective? I think I know, but I want to make sure I'm hearing you right. Well, we've worked with these other IT groups, and they were very ineffective. And I find out they, what you meant was they were not responsive. They never got back to us. Oh, you mean responsive. Not, but that's how you're using it. That's OK. But now I know. Now I know. I'm discovering things below the waterline with my, my iceberg. It's very powerful. So that's the first thing. 
Second thing to listen for. So listen for words that have multiple meanings. Second thing, listen for words that have emotional baggage. Now, this is hard for our IT pros, right? Because we're not really sure we have emotions. We get that. <laughs> we are machines. Huh? We are machines. We, we, are, machines. we are zeros and ones. Yeah. We are the Borg. Uh, resistance is futile. I know this. <laughs> I, I, I understand this. So now here's why this is important for you to do, though. First of all, you will destroy the stereotypes, which is always fun. But the second thing is this. If you hear emotional language, and these are two kinds of emotional language, pain words and gain words. Uh, pain words, and I'll illustrate both of them, but look for pain and gain words. Uh, ask them about those. So these are clarifying questions. So you're going to ask a clarifying question and say, tell me more about that. So they, let's say something like this. Um, Nassim says to me, the last, this is not our first swing project. Uh, we built one when we lived in Houston, too. And it was a real disaster. Is that a pain word? Yeah. Okay. So, hey, what made that such a disaster? Clarifying question. And he's going to say, oh, they came in. They didn't, they didn't ask us anything about uh, you know, how old our kids were. Uh, it wasn't going to be safe for them. My wife wouldn't let them play on the swing. Uh, now I'm learning all kinds of stuff. So what, what happens is I'm, I'm looking for pain words uh, that have people. There's also gain words, too. Like uh, the last group that we worked with, you might say, Nassim, I says, tell me about um, you know, what you're hoping to accomplish. Well, I want to make sure that we have a really awesome experience and a really powerful experience for our kids like we did when we built that swing in, in Houston uh, in the back, backyard there. Well, what made it so awesome? That's a gain word. Now, here's, here's part of our wiring, is that we don't tend to forget things that we have emotional feelings for. If there's negative or positive, people will tell you stuff they would not tell you otherwise. If, if, you, use, if you ask clarifying questions around pain and gain. I was in a meeting like this, and um, I was asking pain and gain words, and I said, here, illustration, has anyone ever bought a car? You guys buy cars sometimes, right? Uh, has anyone had a really painful, awful experience buying a car? <laughs> yeah, right, really. So I was doing, I had 100 people in the room, I was doing this thing, I said, anybody want to tell us your experience about buying a car that was really painful? The lady stood up, she did about 10 minutes on a horrible experience. Manipulated, used, you know, they, they hid the keys, they couldn't drive their own car back, just awful. And I said, that is terrible, that should never have happened to you, I'm sorry. So when did that happen? And she said, 20 years ago. <laughs> now, what just happened? She went back 20 years. She could remember these things. So when you ask for clarifying questions around pain and gain words, you, you get below the surface. You find out stuff that's very, very powerful. And it gives you a clue as to what needs to be done. Now, there's technical things that I know you'll do in scope development, things like that. But this is, this is really how you get connected with people to do great work. Uh, questions on this? When are we supposed to wrap up? Was it 8 or was it... Uh, what, is it time? It's almost time. I will, I will get done. I will. I really will. I mean, like, I would watch professors and I'm going, he's got seven more points. This is not going to get done in time. I can't stay this long. You know, this is, un, this is unexpected. I can't do this. All right, don't worry about it. 
What, I'm, what I've been focusing on is the most important part. If you can do the lead a discovery conversation with overview benefits permission, we shorten that by talking about OBPs. So, you know, show me what your OBP is. Tell me what OBP you're going to use if I'm coaching you. Um, so if you, if you learn how to do that, if you learn how to use open-ended questions, clarifying questions, and take notes, you are like miles ahead of everybody else. And even if nothing changes about how you're going to do the project, they're going to love you better because they're going to feel like they got listened to. And that's, that's, that's part of it right there. It says, you know what? We probably would have done the same thing with the other group. But I kind of like, these guys really listen. I really like them. You know, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. All right, so uh, pressing on here. I want to make sure we get done with this. Uh, like I said, I collect questions. I'm a nerd that way. Like, here are seven reasons why you should collect questions. This is, this, you should really work on your questions. Um, you know, again, I take more time with this. One of my favorite is the last one. Questions get people to persuade themselves. Have you ever had that happen to you? You know, someone asks a bunch of questions and go, wow, now that you got me talking about this, you probably think what I'm asking for is stupid. Oh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really up there. It's a dummy uh, type thing. I, and so, so, I, yeah, what, so what should I do? So you get people to persuade themselves. Um, you get people to talk. You get all kinds of things. Uh, I like it. You know, it actually puts you in control of the conversation. Your knowledge won't put you in control of the conversation, but your choice of a guided set of questions moving the conversation does. A medical doctor never feels like, oh, I was not in, I lost control because I didn't get to tell them everything I know. No, they don't, they, they, a doctor doesn't think like that. Doctor said, man, I was totally in control. I asked all these questions. They just kind of told me everything that I needed to know so that I could make a diagnosis and propose a remedy. Wow, that was awesome. So I don't need to tell them everything I need to know. To have, I'm in control. Questions put you in control. And choosing them really, really well and working really hard at that is powerful, very powerful. All right, second piece here. We're just going to fly through this now. It's easy. So once I've done questions, I'm working with Nassim. We've got the whole, I've been listening to you, talking to you. I'm, all I'm going to do now is I'm going to take what you said and I'm going to restate it into some desired outcomes. So it's going to sound like this. This is just checking for understanding. Ma'am, thank you for telling me about the swing project, Nassim. Um, uh, let me make sure I heard you right. Would that be okay? So what I hear you saying, when it comes to the swing, what you want is A, B, and C. How'd I do? Now, um, when, when I do that, what are, there's, there's four, at least four big possibilities. You guys are all logic people, right? So uh, what are some of the, the possible answers that Nassim may be given? I said, here's what I heard you say. You want A, you want B, and you want C. So what are some of the possible answers he could give me? Nailed it. Nailed it. You're awesome, Mike. <laughs> you totally get me. Uh, okay, so I, I nailed it. That's one. What's the, the opposite of that? Blew it. Blew it. Were you even in the room <laughs> when I was talking? Were you like multitasking, answering email or something? It didn't even feel like you were on the call. Okay, those are the two big ones. Um, anybody else want to gather a, a third or a fourth? Close. Close, but not a cigar, as they sometimes say, as an uh, idiom, um, which means, yeah, A, B, but your C was like off five degrees because you forgot I said this. Oh, you're right. 
You're right. I needed a I, I needed to qualify that differently, didn't I? So I was close, but I missed. Now here's a real interesting one. I said A, B, and C. What's a? This is a, a common one. Can you think what the next one, the last one is here? These are the big ones. Something like this. Mike, you're right. I said A, B, and C, but as you were going through it, I forgot that I didn't mention D. My fault. So they left something out. They didn't, they're not doing, I'm yanking Mike around. You know, one trying to fool me. It's just like, oh, when you took time to kind of test for understanding and do your translation there, I forgot that I had mentioned something. I needed to mention something else. That's a real common one. That's a real common one. Because people are not trying to mess with you. They just don't know how to think the way you think. So they miss stuff. Yeah. So that's a desired outcome. That's translation. If we don't do translation, we're not really on target with people. Uh, and then the last is persuade. Uh, so let's say that I want something that's not good or not seem want something that I don't think is healthy or how, you know, the right solution for your family if we're doing a swing. So I've got to figure out how to take what you're telling me and get down to a, a persuasive story, something that will move you. And this is the last piece of this, and then we're done. So we'll, we'll let you out of here today. Um, this piece here is persuasive story. This is a longer piece to work on, but I want you to know this. So here's how you remember it. Uh, persuasive stories tell a better story with pasta. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I'm deeply committed to eating. <laughs> it's one of my core values. Some people say it's my only core value. <laughs> so I, when I use acronyms, I like to use food because I can remember it. So yeah, it's a pasta, right? I can remember a pasta. So these, this is a story pattern. If you ever have to give a presentation, this works really well too. So here's how pasta works. I state the problem. So what problem are we solving? Let's say that as I talk to Nassim about the swing set, it really is for his kids, but as I listen to him describe the problem, his problem is I wanna make sure that we build a swing set that is so much fun for my children that they don't want to play anywhere else in the neighborhood. That's a, that's a great aspiration. So we're going to make this amazing swing set that just is like awesome as far as your kids are concerned. They're not going to want to play anywhere else. All right, so that's I stated the problem. High level, but that's the problem that we're trying to solve. Um, now the second thing I do is I agitate the problem. So now I'm going to make the problem worse before I solve the problem. And why am I going to do that? I'm going to make the problem worse because I'm going to ask you to do something that you may not want to do. So I have to make sure that something's at stake. I have to kind of raise the value of, of the problem. And so I might say something like this. Now, Seem, I understand that you want your children to play in the backyard and not roaming the neighborhood. I get that. I also understand, let's say, for example, that um, uh, maybe um, your aged mother is staying with you. And while you're at work, She's watching the children. And she, she's not very mobile. She's very aged now. So she needs to be able to look out the back door and see those children. She can't be running through the neighborhood. And if she can't see the children, if they've gone somewhere else to play, well, then she's going to call you, and you're 40 minutes away from the house. You'll have to leave work. Let's make sure that doesn't happen. That's what agitation is. Agitation is saying, if we don't solve that problem, what bad thing happens? So what's at stake? What's at stake? So now I've gone all the way through P and A. S stands for solution. 
So Nassim, when we build, uh, when we build swing sets, we custom design that based on our, our interview with your kids. That's our solution. Anybody can build a swing, but we do custom design based on uh, actually learning about your kids and what they think would be awesome. So that's how we build swings. Uh, it's an amazing thing. So that's my solution. So now I've got P-A-S. T stands for testimony. Um, we've done this for other families just like yours. Four blocks down the road, uh, we do the same thing. You might have seen the um, square pants, uh, uh, something, something. I'm thinking of the, the cartoon or something. We built that one. SpongeBob, SpongeBob. SpongeBob. Yeah, so we did the SpongeBob one down there. It's the same thing, uh, and it's like people still talk about it. Uh, those kids, in fact, all the neighbor kids want to play on the SpongeBob swings. So that, it's pretty powerful. We will do the same thing for your kids. So we have a testimony now. We know how to do this. And the last thing is your project step statement. So to get things started, the very first thing we, we normally do is we come in and we, we sit down uh, with you and your family and we, my designer will come in and we'll interview them and we'll find out really what they, what they would call fun and cool and we'll work on that. So can we go ahead and get started on that? So all I'm doing is a persuasive story to give, this is my answer. Um, if you have to give a talk, pasta is a great way to organize your slides. Very powerful. Here's, here's, um, here's the problem we're trying to solve with the architecture. If we don't solve it, here are the things that are going to happen. Um, the solution is to approach it from this perspective using this methodology. This has worked in other settings like this. Here's where we're going to have to start. And it can organize your slides too. Very powerful for you. It's a very easy way to do this. All right. This is my checklist. All this is is if I'm trying to learn stuff, I need to, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I using discovery uh, OBP? Am I slowing people down and actually getting a conversation? Or do I just accept, tell, or guess? So that's a real key thing. Do I lead discovery conversations? Do I have good open-ended questions that keep people talking? If I don't get them talking, I'm not winning. So I'm not below the surface. Uh, am I taking notes and uh, making sure to ask clarifying questions about words that have multiple meanings and pain and gain words? Because those are going to be clues to get me below the surface with them. Once I've done that, have I translated their desire into an outcome that makes sense and tested for understanding? Have I chosen a response and have I used POST if I need it to persuade them to take action that wasn't their idea? And so that's, this is, um, a re you, you do this over and over again, you get better at it. It's like, it's at-bats, it's repetitions, it's time on the goal if you're into uh, true uh, football, international football, right, with soccer. It's how many times do I have on the goal where I get better at placing it and bending it and making it go where it needs to go. Uh, that's what you just work at this and you get better at it. So that's, uh, that's what we want to do. There's a, a TV show called True Detective. Um, I like this line from uh, one, of the, one of the characters in this TV show. Once you attach an assumption to a piece of evidence, you start to bend the narrative to support it. And what that means is that we don't do discovery, we force solutions on people. And uh, we make sure that all the facts fit our story. And that's not really helpful. Uh, that's not really truly discovery. That's just forced narrative. We do a lot of that. We do a lot of that. So um, you're prepared to do it. You can step in, step out. You can. Hey, uh, sometimes you have to reset. Say, but I, now see, I got so excited, I forgot to ask you what you're trying to accomplish. Can I back up for a second? So I'll sometimes restart a conversation if I get excited. 
And I just remember that I'll adjust to whatever happens. This is more in terms of just mental preparation for performance in this area. But hey, thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for the pizza. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. I know you need to get out of here. Just go home. Uh, I will stay and I will answer because I, I get to do this a lot and I was so happy I got to talk to you tonight. So thank you very much. Thank you for hanging in. It's hard for adults after a long day to sit and listen to a guy yammer up front. I get that. So, But uh, if you have any questions, let me know and uh, I'll do my best to help you with them.